Welcome to an encouraging word from Pastor Elliot Warren from Cross Culture Church in Houston, Texas. All right, well, today is Palm Sunday. That's the Sunday when Jesus came into Jerusalem and they call it Palm Sunday because they wave palms at him, right? And they put him on the road for him and his donkey. It's just, you know, such a funny picture if you really think about it. But anyway, um, we're going to talk about the journey today to Palm Sunday and the Palm Sunday itself. But but we want to I just want to give you a little picture of what Jesus was going through, the mindset, what was going on a little bit with him and um, just a little bit, a little glimpse of that. It's so interesting to me how much happened that last week of Jesus's life. You know, um, like a third of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, even, uh, it's even more than a third, if you'll combine that, of, of Jesus' ministry was, is in that one week. In other words, a third of those Gospels is just talking about one week of his life. Is that, isn't that crazy? And what's another crazy thing to me is that had to be the most intense week of his life. I mean, I want you to think about this. What if you knew in seven days that Jihadi John was going to show up at your door, knock at your door, and take you out and chop your head off. What if you knew that was going to happen? Think about that for a moment. What if you knew that's going to happen? Can you imagine that just for a second? Just picture you're living in somewhere where that might happen, like Afghanistan. Okay, you're, you're in a place that's not going to knock at your door and cut your head off, right? If you knew that's going to happen, and then you knew the dangers out there, and there are dangerous people out there, and you know that's going to happen in about a week. Imagine this, the stress that would be on you. I mean, for me, I think I'd be like praying every day. Oh, Lord, help me. God, str-, right? Man, it's just amazing. Jesus had like his busiest, most productive week that week. I mean, Jesus was a man. I mean, he was a man's man. He was so courageous. But there's certain things that he did to get there. There's certain things that he did as an example for us on how he walked the walk that he had to walk. And I believe that each one of us, we're not called to be crucified. I don't believe any of us are. We're definitely not called to be crucified for anybody's sins. Um, but we might have, we're definitely going to have to go through trials, every one of us. And I believe that there's some big keys here about how we can go through life and be victorious just like Jesus was. Okay, so let's look at this in, in Luke 9, 51. It says this, and it came to pass when the time for Jesus to be received up, that means time for him to to go back to his father. He steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Now, there's a verse in the Old Testament that is talking about this exact same thing, and it's in Isaiah 50, verse 7. And it says this, For the Lord God will help me. Therefore, I shall not be confounded, and therefore I have set my face like a flint, because I know I shall not be put to shame. So, here, when Jesus says this, when Jesus does this, he knows that his time is at at hand, okay? It's time for him to be crucified, and it's time for him to go back to the Father, right? So, um, and he knows that going to Jerusalem is going to trigger this event. 
right? So it says he set his face to go to Jerusalem. So he knows something. He knows it's time for him to be received up. Time for him to go through that difficult week. He knows Jerusalem is where he has to go. And when he goes, when he goes, it's going to trigger everything that's going to happen. Then it's he what is it? What does he do? He sets his face to go to Jerusalem. He makes a solid decision in his heart. Now, I want to mention here, this is like the first amazing key we can see of how to fulfill the call of God in your life, how to walk through what God wants you to do, how to serve God even on a weekly basis wherever you are right now. It's not just the big things, but even the little things need to be done this way. And that is through resolve. Resolve. He set his face like flint and he said, I am going to do this. What does that mean? That means he's not allowing other words to even get near his mind. He's not allowing his mind to even suggest something different. I know we can look. I was thinking of funny little things like we can just say, oh, maybe I won't get on Zoom today or maybe I'm not going to go to church today. I mean, how many times we allow little words just to come and discourage us from doing things we know we ought to do, right? Little tiny words. You have to have resolve. The devil will always blow you around and you will always be flaky. I'm talking flaky until you decide you're going to have some resolve about life. You're going to get up. You're going to get to church. You're going to do what you have to do. And a lot more than that, you're going to walk the walk that Christ has called you to walk. If you never have resolved, you will always be a flaky person. And you might think, oh, I'm just flaky. You know, I'm in a, and I would just say, this is an exceedingly flaky generation. Exceedingly flaky. Nothing is required. Everybody feels entitled to everything. But nobody wants to put in the price. They don't want to pay the price. They don't want to develop faithfulness. They don't want to be consistent. They don't want to go through hard times and do what's right. They just fall apart. And Jesus says he's going to make you into something bigger than that. But you've got to have resolve. You've got to have every word away from your mind. You've got to make a decision. Nope, I'm not giving in to that word. Nope, I'm not listening to that thought. Nope, it's not coming near me. You remember one time Jesus just mentioned something about, you know, what he's going to have to do and suffer. And Peter goes, oh, no, you'll never have to go through. That's not right. And Jesus says, get behind me, devil. I know that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm not even giving an inch to you. I'm not going to start feeling sorry for myself. And I'm not going to start going, oh, I can't believe what I got to go through. What am I going to do? What it says right here, he says, I know God will help me. Therefore, I am not going to be confounded, and I have set my face like a flint. You know what? We have fear that comes upon us. We have all this stuff. Oh, you can't go forward. He didn't let his mind go there. All he said was, I've set my mind like a flint because I know something. God is going to help me. God is going to be with me. God is going to give me the grace that I need. God is going to give me the provision that I need. Man, that is an amazing thing. I want to say this, and I want you to think about this. You can have absolute resolve 
when you also have absolute trust because you know God's going to help you. You can't have one without the other. I've wondered which comes first, resolve or trust. I've thought about it. They come together. If you're not willing to step out, you will never have any trust developed in your heart. You won't have faith if you're not willing to step out. You might say, oh, I've got faith. No, you don't if you haven't stepped out. Faith without works is dead, right? You've got to have resolve and step out. And when you do, what's going to happen? Your faith is going to be ignited. It's right there with it. Do y'all see that? Amen. Praise the Lord. Y'all need to have some, some palm branches or something. Start waving them or doing something. So anyway, he knows his time's at hand. He sets his face like flint. And I just want to encourage you today and ask you, have you set your face like flint? Have you made a decision you're going to serve God? You're not turning back. You don't care what happens. You don't care what things look like. Because I will tell you this, if you want to serve God, it will sometimes cost you. It will sometimes be inconvenient. And it will sometimes cause you to have to do something you don't want to do. That always is going to happen. But you've got to be willing to say, I'm going to serve God no matter what it costs me, and I'm going to live for Him. And I want to say this, serving God's not just living morally. Serving God's not just being a good person. Man, that's just like the most basic thing ever. I think some, some uh, non-believers are more moral than, I mean, some people that say they're believers. But my point is, it's a lot more than that. Serving God is like everything is God's now. Some of you might be thinking, oh, I don't know if I want to turn my life around. You know, that, that's just the first step. I am telling you, it's all about God and His purpose for you because He's made you. He's got a purpose for you. He's got a plan for you. He's got a path for you. And it's the whole kit and caboodle, so to, so to speak, right? Everything. So, anyway, so here He is. He's made this decision. He's going forward. He's taken steps out in his faith. And guess what? God's going to be with him because he's taken his step in faith. He's not worrying about it. How many of us would be tormented? You know, when you're not in resolve, guess what? You're tormented. Jesus isn't tormented. He had his times when he went and he prayed. He felt anxiety just like we did. He had to deal with it. He had to bring it to God. He didn't live with it. Do y'all see what I mean? And here he is in a, in a horrible trial. He's not even worried. That's pretty powerful to me. Okay, so, so then we move on from there. So he's made the decision. He's going, okay, it's time for me to go. He's got resolve. I'm going. I'm not even second thinking this. I'm not wondering, am I going to go? Am I, you know, I, don't, I don't feel like it. Maybe I'm going to wait till next year. Well, maybe I'll wait till I'm 80. I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm only 33. You know, i got some other things I need to do in life. No, he's not even thinking about that. So he, he moves forward. So he starts his trip to Jerusalem. He's on his trip to Jerusalem. He's on his way. And it says this in Matthew 20, verse 17. Now Jesus, going to Jerusalem, took the twelve disciples aside on the road, and he said to them, Behold, we're going to go to Jerusalem. See, he's already decided. And they're all going there, and now he's telling them what's getting ready to happen. 
and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priest and to the scribes. They're going to condemn him to death, deliver him to the Gentiles. He's going to be mocked and scourged, and then they're going to crucify him. But on the third day, he's going to rise again. Is that pretty clear? Do y'all understand what Jesus just said? Our 12 church apostles, well, let's say 11, they're all there. They all heard that. And guess what? They didn't get it. They did not get it. And uh, I, just, I just think that's, it's, this was probably somewhat of an intense moment for Jesus. I mean, he's just, this is getting ready to happen. He shares it with his disciples, and they don't get it. Um, and there are many reasons why I believe um, they didn't get it. First of all, I would say they didn't get it because that's not what was happening. They didn't see that all around them. They were excited. They were having momentum. It's like, man, the crowds are getting bigger every day. Man, it is phenomenal. Man, have you seen the recent miracles Jesus has been doing? They've been getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Just last week, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead after he'd been dead four days. I mean, think about that. They were on a roll. Boom. They were on a roll. I mean, they were all excited. Man, God's moving. They felt it. They were excited. Jesus said something like this. I'm going to be crucified. They're going to do, or the son of man. And I could just imagine the disciples going, what do you think he meant when he said that? He's always talking so strange and cryptic. You know, I, I, I mean, I wish I could just hear what they said about what he just told them and what they were probably trying to figure out what in the world that meant. And it's just exactly what happened. But they couldn't hear it because they were so wrapped up in life. And uh, I, I just would mention this. You see, sometimes we can be so wrapped up in what's going on right now, we can't hear what God is saying about what's getting ready to happen. So we're not prepared for it. And um, this is so interesting. I remember one year, years ago in a different church, Sherry came up to me, and she, I mean, we'd been having momentum. Man, we were, things were growing. Uh, prayer meeting was big. And, and, I mean, it, was, and we'd, it would be hours, and people just loved to be there. I'm talking like from 7 to maybe 11 or 12 at night on Friday nights. It, it, you go, who would go to a prayer meeting? Man, we did, and it was fun. We'd praise, we'd sing, we'd pray. It was powerful, and God was moving, and church was growing, and uh, it, it, it was great. I think we had almost like 50 nations, and I love that. I love having nations in the church. I love working with people from different countries and backgrounds. And Sherry came up to me so excited one day, and she goes, well, God told me winds of change are coming. Whoa, winds of change. And I'm going, yes. Now I want to just say I've had some dreams and some prophetic words about some negative stuff, right? There's a, but she's saying that, and I am telling you, in about two weeks, the winds of change hit. But it wasn't winds of change like I was thinking. It was a hurricane. It was a hurricane. And, and it hit, and I'm going, oh, man, why didn't God tell me more about this or tell me exactly what's going to happen or something like that? But I just say sometimes we can be in a mindset. And let me back up right here. You know what? If you're not paying attention to what's going on right now in the world, you're going to miss out on some direction because I believe this is a really crucial time. Things are changing. Can you not see that? And this is the time when Jesus said, 
Watch and pray, watch and pray. And did he not say that the Holy Spirit would tell us things to come? He's not going to tell you everything to come, but he will tell you enough and he'll tell you at the right time. But you've got to be connected and you've got to have your ears open. You've got to be praying and you've got to get rid of your prejudices and your preconceived notions, your preconceived ideas of what God's going to do. And sometimes God tells you something's getting ready to happen and it's not what you want to happen. That's another reason why we don't hear it. God can just, because Jesus is like, I'm going to get crucified. They're like, oh, he doesn't mean that. What do you think he means? I don't know. I bet it's some kind of mystical sense. It's like a, you know, it's like a spiritual thing that's going to happen. You know, we just have to watch and see. But anyway, you just have to, we have to be listening. And then, and then along the road, when he, after that happens, here he's on his way to Jerusalem. And then James and John's mother just shows up. This is such a funny thing. He's on his way to Jerusalem. He knows. He just told them, I'm getting ready to get crucified. So here, James and John's mother show up. And so they, they go to the side. Hey, uh, can I have a word with you, Jesus? So there's Jesus, James, and John, and their mother. Right? And it says this. Then the mother of Je- Zebedee's sons, which is James and John, came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking him, uh, something. And she, he said, what do you want? And she said, grant that these two sons of mine sit, one on your right and one on your left in your kingdom. And the, see, listen, they still don't know what's going on. She thinks the kingdom's going to be right there. Okay. Isn't that true? She thinks, I mean, look at the momentum. And after Lazarus was risen from the dead, after, after Jesus rose him up from the dead after four days, I mean, the momentum, boom, went to the next level. I mean, they're like, oh, it's getting ready to happen. Oh, it's getting ready to happen. Oh, what's, I mean, what more can happen? He, he raised somebody from the dead. He's been dead for four days. He stunk. He was decayed. Oh, my, my. I mean, didn't, you know, the Bible says people came from all over just to go talk to Lazarus, not just to see Jesus. They're like, did you hear? That man was dead. He was dead four days. By the way, it says people came from all over. I mean, the word was everywhere. Jesus raised a man from the dead. He's been dead four days. And they went just to see Lazarus. You're the man? You're the man? Now, by the way, this is a little side note. You ever think about that? I've always thought, what does people want to go there for? Let me ask you this. If you went to go see a man who'd been dead four days, what would you do? Would you just want to look at him? Honestly, what would you do? You'd ask him questions, wouldn't you? You know you would. That's the first thing you're going to do. You'd go, what was it like? Where did you go? Who did you see? Was many of my family there? Was so-and-so there? You, you, wouldn't you be doing that? You'd want to know what that side was like. It doesn't record one bit of that in the Bible, but I know it had to happen. Every single one of us in here would be asking that question, wouldn't we? Wouldn't you want to know? But anyway, that's just a side item. I've always thought that's the strangest thing. I know it happened, but for some reason, God didn't want to tell us whatever those questions were and what he answered back. I think that's an interesting thing to me. Anyway, so here he goes, you know, uh, with, with her. They think, she thinks they're going to establish the kingdom, okay? Now, um, the, other, the other disciples hear what's going on. They find out what happened with James and John. I don't know how they found out, but somehow they found out maybe somebody was listening and heard enough of it and go, I cannot believe. And so they told on them. 
So everybody found out what happened with James and John, and they're all upset, right? And if you look through the scriptures, you find out something, and this is super interesting to me, that all of them actually wanted to have position and a place of authority and prominence over the other ones. Who's going to be the greatest one? Who's going to be the most powerful? Who's going to be the most acknowledged and honored? They all wanted that. And Jesus had to teach them, okay, guys, no, that is not the way the kingdom works. Now, first of all, this is interesting to me because these are the guys that are going to lead the kingdom, right? But, you know, this is another thing that makes this so interesting to me is that these disciples had in them the same influence, flesh, root problem that the Pharisees had. Right? Wanting prestige, wanting position, wanting to be seen as important before other people. You know, the Bible says, don't brag on yourself. Don't tell everybody else about how big you are, how important you are. Oh, your name, your, your accomplishments. Don't get into that. Why? It's not good for you. You need to lay that down. Huh? Exhaust yourself. What's God going to do one day? Humble you. Oh, my. <laughs> anyway, so they had the same root in them that's in the Pharisees that I believe is in the heart of mankind. But what was the difference? The difference was they were around Jesus. So when that popped up, Jesus spoke to it. And he said, okay, guys, let me help you with this right here. Now, what if these disciples had been under Pharisees that day? Nice Pharisees. They would have had a completely different impact on their lives. You know what? This is sad, but it is so true. And it, this principle is in the Word. It seems so unfair. It seems unfair to me that um, somebody can be influenced, say, for example, by um, little children. Let me give you that example. Jesus says, you know what? Um, there'll be people that lead children astray, lead them in the wrong direction. But woe unto that person. It's so unfair that that child had that person in their life. Are, are y'all with me? I don't know why things like that happen. It bothers me. When I hear about children today being in classrooms where they are being taught to accept transgenderism, where they're being taught maybe you, little boy, are actually a little girl, that so irritates me because I know it's an influence that's leading people astray Jesus said those influences are powerful and to be careful about them. And he says, woe to those who do that. It's not fair, but don't think it's not powerful and it doesn't have an influence. So here, if, if these disciples had been under Pharisees and never come out of that, they would have grown up to be just like what? Pharisees. But why didn't they? It's because Jesus had input into their life. And 
here, I want to just say, we all have junk in us. We all have junk in us. We've got the Pharisee in us. We've got the evil in us. We've got wrong attitudes in us. If you are not close to Jesus, I will tell you, that is not getting dealt with you. I don't care how moral you are. Most of the Pharisees weren't committing adultery. Most of the Pharisees weren't doing certain things. I don't care how moral you are. If you're not close to Jesus, He's not speaking into your life, pulling the Pharisee out of you, pulling the wrong attitudes out of you, changing your mindset and helping you become what you're supposed to be. So, first of all, you got to spend time with God. You got to be close to Jesus, right? You got to be here in Him. And I want to say this too. You need to be around people. You just say, well, it's just me and Jesus. No, most of the time, we are too hard-headed. And we need a brother or a sister to speak into our lives. One of my friends, well, a pastor from years ago used to say, you know, you, we have brother, sister, and sister sandpaper in church. They rub us the wrong way. But sometimes that's good. Sometimes you need to be around people that are going to see something in you and call you out of that into something better. And sometimes it doesn't feel good, but you've got to be willing to listen. Humble yourself. You know, whenever you make a change, when somebody says, you know, that's not right, even as nice as they can be, you can be the nicest you can ever be. Nobody likes to be corrected, no matter how nice you do it. So you better be as nice as possible. At least that'll make it a little easier, right? But none of us like to be corrected. It's just human nature. It's our flesh. But what do we have to do? Humble ourselves. If you don't humble yourself, you will never, ever, ever grow. You're always going to be just like you've been. Humble yourself. Humble yourself before the Lord. And guess what? He will raise you up. You know what that means? And many, it, There's many dimensions to that. It doesn't just mean he's going to show you before the, everybody and say, oh, I'm going to exalt that person before men. Maybe he will, but he, re- he makes you into something new. I mean, he changes your life. You become a different person when you humble yourself before the Lord. Anyway, then you move on and you see you, you go. We're, now, we're in, now he's almost at Jerusalem. We're in Matthew 21. We're almost at Jerusalem. And this is where you hear the story. Um, Matthew 21, verse 1. Now when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you'll find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anybody says anything to you, just say the Lord has need of them, and he'll let them go. He'll send them with you. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, the Old Testament prophet, that says, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, you know, the Old Testament words have to be fulfilled, right? They all have to be fulfilled, every single one of them. So this word had to be fulfilled, and I believe fully Jesus knew this scripture. And he knew that this had to be fulfilled. He had to go on a donkey. It can't be any other way. So this is interesting to me. Look how after Jesus made the, had the resolve, 
made the decision to go forward, God provided this donkey that was needed on his journey. Are you with me? I hope you understand this because it is important. You see, until you, until you commit, we're going back to what I started out talking about, until you commit and have resolve and you begin to take steps forward, there are certain things of provision that won't come your way. You're not going to see them until you commit and you do what you're supposed to do with full resolve, right? Now, what if Jesus did not step out? Sometimes we want God to do everything before we'll take a step. God, I'll follow you. Like, you know, you've got to have a donkey. I know this is a silly example, but I think it makes the point. God, I know I'm supposed to have a donkey there. Lord, I'm not going to go till you give me a donkey. Right? And he's looking around. I'm supposed to go. I don't have a donkey. I don't have a donkey. There's no donkey. God said, go. Right? He goes. On his way, God gives him the donkey. He's got to have that donkey. A lot of times, you're not going to get what you need until you start going forward. What you need, you think, oh, God's called me to do that. And I'm going to need this and this and this. Let me get that first. God says, no, you go forward as I lead you to go forward. And those things will come and they'll be there at the right time. Right? Do you remember Israel? And a, they had a great promise. You're supposed to go into the promised land. Then they saw giants. They're like, oh, no, God, you should have gotten those out before we came. God messed up somewhere. And God's like, no, you have absolute resolve on your heart. You're going to go forward and you step out and then watch what happens. You see, look at this. Joshua and Caleb, they felt fear like everybody else, but they made a decision. We're going to follow God. It w I believe it felt horrible for them, too. But then they go, we're going to do it. And they stepped into that resolve. And when they did, they became a new person. The Bible says Caleb was a different spirit than everybody else. Why? Simply because he had resolve and he said, I'm going to follow God. And when he did, look at the difference between Caleb and Joshua and all these other guys. Do you see what I'm saying? You see how that changes us? You've got to be willing to step out. Guys, let me tell you, you've got to be willing to step out and trust God. Maybe you've been wondering what it's going to be like to follow God, to let go of your old life, to let go of how you've been living. Maybe you've been wondering, what's God going to have me do? Oh, no, I'm going to be so afraid. What, what's God going to lead me into? I, those are crazy thoughts. Just trust God. Do you think God's a bad God? Do you think God's got a, something bad? Don't you think if you follow God, you're going to be happy you did? Just reason a little bit with truth and quit trying to let all these or allowing all these thoughts to come to your mind that are weighing you down. Just take that step and decide you're going to follow God no matter what. No matter what comes, no matter what trial comes, no matter what the cost is going to be. God, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to trust you. And I'm not going to let any word come into my mind otherwise. Some of you, I'm telling you, you'd be so free if you just do that. What's tormenting you? It's not just the devil. It's your mindset. 
the resolve isn't there. So you left the door open. So the devil just comes in and tells you about your future, how things aren't going to work. Maybe you shouldn't do this. Just shut that door and just say, I'm trusting God. Amen. God will always come through for you. God will always come through for you. So then we get, then we go on a little further here. Verse six. So the disciples went. They did just like Jesus told them and got the donkey. They brought the donkey, laid the clothes on them, set Jesus on the donkey. And a very great, very great, that means really, really big, not just a great multitude, a very great multitude, spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees, spread them on the road, palm branches. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, cried out, saying, Hosanna to the son of God, David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when they come to Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, who is this? What are they talking about? What's happening? Right? So right here, we just see something. No doubt these people believe Jesus was the Messiah. They're shouting, Hosanna. What does that mean? Lord, save us. Save us. Deliver us. They're calling him the son of David. That's the title because it's a, it's a descendant of David. That's the title for the Messiah. They're also saying, they're calling, they say, blessed is he who's coming in the name of the Lord. They're acknowledging that God has sent him. You see that? So they're, they're acknowledging that he is the son of God, that he's the Messiah. And I've thought this many times. I've wondered, I wondered what Jesus was thinking that day. You ever wonder about that? What was Jesus thinking? I mean, they're cheering. It's the, I, I know what his disciples were thinking. Oh, my, it's about to happen. It's about to happen. Could it be today? Could it be tomorrow? They're going to put him up as king. Who knows? He's going to do something and press some button, and all the Roman army is just going to be decimated. I mean, some big miracles getting ready. Oh, it's about to happen. And Jesus, he knows what's going on. And he, they're all cheering, saying, oh, Hosanna. And he's thinking, they're getting ready to crucify me. <laughs> it's just, I mean, it'd make me just want to say, shut up. Just shut up. I'm, but it was God that, that they were doing that, right? And honestly, it wasn't just the people as a whole uh, that, that were crucifying him. They were led by the Pharisees. Um, if you read the story, uh, which we're not going to do that today, um, the whole process of rejecting Jesus and crucifying Jesus, it was initiated and carried out because of the influence of the religious leaders, the ones who knew more verses. They, they had studied the Bible more than anybody else. They were the ones who were supposed to be teaching everybody else about how to follow God teaching everybody else about how to be godly, teaching everybody else about the Messiah. They themselves did not know the Messiah. They themselves, the ones who were supposed to be leading people in the truth, were leading people into darkness. Do y'all see what I'm saying? You remember Jesus said once, he says, y'all go all over the place trying to get one convert, and you get one and you make them twice the son of hell as yourself. Wow. That's exactly what happened. And that goes back to that other point I was making earlier, right? 
You get under somebody, that's what you're going to become. You need to be with the right people. But anyway, moving along here, getting back to where we are now, here we see the religious leaders are going to be the ones that ought to know, but they're actually the ones who lead in the wrong direction. That is so irritating to me. But I just, I want to say this, and and I think it's very important. Um, You can know a lot about God and not know God. Everybody ought to write that down. You can know a whole lot about God. You can, you can know the catechism. You can know, you can quote verses, right? You could have been baptized 105 times as somebody says, know every fish in the lake, you know, by their first name. You know, you, you could go through so many things, but that doesn't mean you know God. It doesn't mean you know God. And second thing I want to say here is you need to be careful and don't just follow Christian leaders because they look important, because they seem to have a lot of knowledge, because they seem to be prideful, and because they can point out, oh, that error. Oh, you know what the disi- they were always doing? Oh, this is wrong. That's what the disciples were doing all the time. This is wrong. That is wrong. That, he's not doing that right. He's not doing that right. He, all the time. They give an air that they know so much, right? And people were listening to them. I want to just tell you this. Christian leaders can lead you astray. Christian culture, Christian culture, the culture that's in Christianity can lead you astray. Don't start feeling like, oh, I'm okay because this is where direction everybody else is going in. Well, it seems like, well, he's living like that. He's doing like that. He's living like that. He says this. He says that. You better have a relationship with God and it needs to be real. Your conscience needs to be awakened to God. You need to be tenderhearted before God. You need to be humble and not prideful. And you need to be able to, to pay attention so that God leads you in the right direction. The Bible's all the time saying, be careful, be watchful, be prayerful. Don't allow yourself to be seed, deceived. Don't be in the wrong place. Um, watch out. That doesn't mean to be critical and fault finding. Not at all. That's such a wrong spirit. It's talking, the big thing is to be humble and prayerful and connected with Jesus. You know, some, I heard somebody say one time, you know how you find false dollar bills? How they used to teach tellers how to, con- how to, um, to find, uh, f- they don't do this anymore, I guess, because we hardly use cash. But at one time, what they would do was they would teach tellers what um, false dollars looked like. So they'd give them the real dollars, and they, they would make them handle it a long time. They'd be handling the real money. And then they'd slip in a wrong one inside the real one. And then, and then when the wrong one would come, they'd recognize it. And, and that is so interesting, you see. They recognized the faults because they knew the real. You see what I'm saying? And when you're connected with the real, that which is false, wrong, erroneous, becomes more clear because it doesn't go right. Now, sometimes... God does new things that don't go right with us, but we just have to always pray through that. I am telling you, God can lead me into something new, and when I first hear about it, it might, it might make me go, mm, I don't agree with that. But then after I pray through things, work through things, I go, God was right. I'm glad I humbled myself, or I would have kept going in the wrong direction. Okay, so anyway, so that happens there, and then, and then, Jesus gets off his donkey 
But it's still, it's still Palm Sunday. He gets off his donkey, and he goes into the temple. Man, this is powerful. He goes into the temple, and he drives out those who, who bought and sold in the temple. I mean, this is amazing. He goes into the temple. He starts turning tables over. It, it said when he did this, when he first started his ministry, he got a whip and started. I mean, he was whipping them. I mean, you go, what? I mean, I could just imagine the disciples going, oh, my, what has gotten into Jesus today? The disciples were used to that kind of church culture. Church culture. They were so used to it. That's what happened every time they go to church. It's supposed to be like that. But Jesus stepped in there and he goes, no, this is not what I want. So what did he do? He got rid of what wasn't supposed to be there. Right? And he started bringing vision to bring in what is supposed to be there. You have made it into this. That was not my intention ever. That's not God's intention for the church. And I would just say, God didn't intend the church to be a playground. He didn't intend the church just to be a place where people go to feel better. That's, we do feel better when we go to church, I believe, if you're serving the Lord. But he, he, the church is meant to be a place where you encounter God, where God speaks to you, where you get truth on the inside of you, where your lies are confronted and you go, oh, well, sometimes you feel bad because, man, it really went deep. It, went, it dealt with me, right? And other times you just come out jumping. In fact, I just, I just hope and trust most of the time, by the time you get out of church, you're jumping because God dealt with you or God blessed you or God did something while you're there. But there's a wide variety of what God wants to do in church. And it's always to be filled with God, filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, church ought to be like where you come every Sunday because you're going to go, what might God do today? You remember what he did last week? Whoa, who would have imagined? It was amazing. The Holy Spirit needs to have his way. That's what God intended. That's what Jesus intended. But I would say we have made God about so many other things. God's like, I'm just going to move that out of the way. And then he says, and I want to bring in what I originally intended. I want to just say, I believe God's doing that right now. In our hour, God is moving things out of the way. He's going to move. I am. I mean, look. Jesus stepped into history right here into the temple, which I believe represents churches, the, the church and churches. You look in Revelation. What did he do there? He stepped into churches. He still does this kind of thing, right? What's he doing today? I believe he's stepping into churches and he's stepping into ministries and things that aren't fulfilling his purpose anymore. He's going to deal with them. Some people, maybe it's just they've run the course and God's finished doing what he was going to do. But other situations, they've gotten off course and they're not doing what God's called them to do. They're not making disciples. They're not helping people know the Lord. They're not helping people get free from sin. They're not showing people how to walk with God anymore. I mean, you know what I'm saying? They're not bringing people into encounter with God. What is it about? What are we building? God's going to deal where man's been building man's kingdom instead of God's kingdom. God's going to do that. And he's going to bring the things back. He's going to bring prayer. My house shall be called a house of prayer. He's going to bring prayer back. He's going to bring power back. He's going to bring presence back. Don't think God's given up on his church. When you see some kind of shaking that's going on today, you should rejoice because it means God has stuck his hand into the church and he's going to keep moving it until it ends up being in a situation like a new wineskin where he can pour what he wants to be in the church. And he's removing man, man's 
pride of what he's built, man's pride of who he is, man's pride of his name, of his church name, of all. God is done with that. And he's going to move. And guess what happens when God moves and God cleans out the temple? God comes back and the power comes back. God comes back and the power comes back. This is so interesting and I believe it's prophetic. What happened after Jesus clean, cleaned, cleansed the temple? You look at the very next thing. We'll just read this. I'm trying to go fast here. So he, he cleanses the temple. And he says, he says, verse 13, my house should become a house of prayer. And then it says the very next thing. Then, then, right then. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed him. You know what? Honestly, I just think, oh, my, how did that happen? Because I pictured this thing. Jesus is turning over tables. Jesus is rebuking people. Jesus, maybe you got his whip out. You know what? I'm there. That just sounds like a lot of commotion to me. I could just imagine going out, you know, feeling all huffy. Jesus, he's right in the Holy Ghost. He's, he's not in a wrong spirit whatsoever. He was strong. He was courageous. He's right with the Holy Spirit. And guess what? When he does that, the Holy Spirit's moving in the church. And guess who's drawn in? The blind and the lame. Now that that junk's moved out, God's getting ready to minister. And that guess what? <laughs> the blind and the lame got healed. That's what God's getting ready to do today. It's getting ready to happen. Amen. There's some great things getting ready to happen in this world. I hope you're encouraged. I hope you've made a decision to have resolved, to go after God, to go forward, to don't back up anymore. God's got something good for you. God's got something good for your life. But get rid of the religion. You know what? If you're going to church just because it's a cool place to be, no, you're going for the wrong reason. You're going to be disappointed. Are you going to church just because, you know, you idolize the pastor or something? No, no, you're going to be disappointed one day. Uh, uh, if you're going to church because God's there, you're experiencing God, and that's where you're supposed to be. Man, keep on going and connect and lock arms with others and start going forward. Let people speak into your life. But you need brothers and sisters and you need spiritual fathers and mothers. Let me tell you, you need spiritual fathers and mothers. And I know some of you don't want that. You're like, oh, no, what might happen? Maybe you're afraid. Uh, because, but I, I just want to say everybody needs a voice into their life. And you need a voice in your life. You need to hear from God. Anyway, let me pray. We're going to go over the uh, we're going to go from this story right into the crucifixion and resurrection next week. Hopefully I can get to the resurrection because it's Resurrection Sunday. So I need to make sure I get that far. Well, Father, we want to thank you for today. Lord, we pray bless us today. Bless us in our following you. Bless us in our seeking you. Bless us in our walk with you. God, uh, you know the trials we go through. You know the difficulties. Father, we pray let there be encouragement over our lives. Let our minds and our hearts be encouraged. God, give us grace to seek you. Give us grace to put you first. Give us grace, God, to pull away from the things that are pulling at, our, pulling at us. Lord, you know how we can so easily get pulled. Father, we pray you protect us from the temptations of the enemy. Father, we pray you deliver us from evil. And God, we pray you open up an amazing door for us to go forward into the new season of God, new things of God, new power, new equipping, new anointing, new grace. Lord, we thank you. You can do new and amazing things in such a quick time. And so, Lord, we're looking for that. Lord, for everybody listening to me that is not saved, hadn't given their life to the Lord yet, God, just wrestling with it, maybe just thinking, well, I'm okay, maybe I'm okay. No, I just want to encourage you. No, you need to take a step forward. Nothing happens if you don't step out on your faith. Nothing happens. You don't get born again until you step out on your faith and actually utilize that faith. 
So I would encourage you today, give your life to the Lord. Put your trust in Jesus. And, um, you know, call whoever invited you or call us, text us, do whatever. But Father, we want to thank you for this now. And I, I just pray, God, bless every single one of us in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. When we had praise and worship this morning, this word came to me, and I believe it was the Lord. Not the same way I had it come to me before when I was in Montana, but the thought came to me. Look what God can do in a day. God can do things in a day. And I believe there's going to be, in the near future, days where you begin to see amazing things happen. And you'll go, wow, who would have ever believed something like that could happen in a day? Be, be looking up. Be encouraged. Be looking for God. Connect your life with Him. Quit living in the life a mess. God will bless you. Be encouraged. We'll see you next week in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.